I would say the rule is to remind ourselves or to ask ourselves every time we tweet something or post something is, is this really necessary? And I've, I've been tweeting a, a lot about that already. Like, am I tweeting just a screenshot of the acceptance of my paper, which is completely hopeless to the world? Or you say, hey, by the way, I have this new, this new paper. Here's the full link because I want to share, because I want to bring something to the community. Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas, and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. So I didn't realise that anyone had been on the podcast more than four times, but clearly after the start of this episode, I realised that Martin, I think, has been on five times. So we've got the co-authors of a new book, and we've got Martin Bashai and George Perry. And the book is all about ego. And in the lead up to this episode, I read this book and it's superb. There's so many insights from practitioners in the field, working elite sport, talking about their experiences personally and professionally about ego. So it's so interesting. Martin recites lots of different stories about Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who we talk about in this episode. But there's so many others. There really is so many others. So we have a little chat around ego of the self, ego of the coach, but also dealing with players with ego. And also we have a little chat around, and this is very predictable, I know, but social media, job titles, which is a really, really interesting chat and makes definitely made me think about how I interact with people on social media, what I post, what I don't post, and what mo- most importantly, why I post it. So a really interesting episode, slightly different, but so, so interesting with Martin Bashai and George Perry. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, portable and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics force plate system in action, head over to their website hawkingdynamics.com to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. And this episode of the podcast is also sponsored by iMeasureU. iMeasureU is used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field. IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra-high G capabilities to quantify high-impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer-life battery to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions, and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. iMeasureU, now part of Vicom, 
works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, the US Department of Defence and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about iMeasureU, head over to their website imeasureu.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at iMeasureU. So without further ado, over to the episode with Martin Bushait and George Perry. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. So today is slightly different that we've got two people on, and also slightly different. It's a slightly different topic, not necessarily technical, but super, super interesting and really excited to get George Perry. And for his fifth time, I was corrected, Martin Bushite. So welcome to the podcast, guys. Hey, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming on. So we're not going to go into in-depth intros. Martin, you've done it four times before. Um, and George, yours will come up in the conversation as as we go. But I'm going to come to you first, Martin, on this topic of ego. Why why was it so important for you to delve deep into that and then obviously follow through into the result of, of which, which was the book? Yeah, it could, could could be a long story, but it's definitely something um, that comes from 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 far and lo- long time ago. I've been probably struggling with with mine as well, being always willing to be the the, the first at many levels and really to make um, make a, I don't know a difference maybe on the sports science world and at at many levels. And then probably when you start to reach a certain level of of achievement, development of yourself, the, the things you, you put in place, you probably start to to struggle even more when people tend to to judge to judge yourself or question what what you're doing. And this is when are are starting to really get uh, into, let's say, overall the topic to understand myself and really to be able to 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 deal with the, my overall work environment. And this is obviously something that has been building up over the last 10, 15 years. So it's not something new. But the more the more you progress into achieving things, probably the, the greater the, the, the challenge, you know. So it came from really something that I had to understand about myself. Um, and it's when I started to, to question others, how they were dealing with themselves, how they were dealing in their daily work environment. And this is how we, we, we came to the decision of taking those phone calls to colleagues and friends to a whole book in the end. And George, where do you fit into this? I like the story. Tell it. So one day I was doing what I do most mornings, and that's going through the freelance market, uh, the freelance work market website, the marketplace uh, Upwork, and looking for anything in the world of content marketing, particularly in sports, because that's what I do. Um, I'm a freelance marketer as well as a, a coach, and I saw that there's a job posting for looking for an editor, maybe a partner in some capacity, and I clicked on it, and it was from Marin Bukite. And I said, whoa, if Marin Bukite is looking for an editor, a, co- a co-conspirator, if he's looking for anything, I'm going to be a part of it. <laughs> because in our little world of sports science, I mean, Martin is a household name. And I said, this chance does not come around often. COVID is shutting down the world. And Hot damn, I'm getting on this. So I responded, and over the next uh, couple messages and the first few phone calls, I I used my copious ego to full effect and worked my way onto the project. Martin, how much are you cringing after that? <laughs> <laughs> no, no comment. Yeah. No comment. 
Nice. So, would you say freelance writer, George? Yeah, so I've, I've been in the sports industry for about 10 years now. I like to say I've done every job in it except for being an athlete. So, I've coached and managed a semi-pro track and field team. I've worked uh, freelance and as a consultant for a lot of sports tech companies, um, startups, both on the business and the performance side of our industry, as well as a lot of writing, uh, both for you know fan sites, opinion analysis sites, um, data analysts, um, pretty much a little bit of everything. And most of what I've done in the past has been blogs and articles, and this was by far the most ambitious project I've ever undertaken. But once I started talking to Martin and, you know, going beyond just knowing his reputation, but getting to know him and this project and what it meant to him and reading the early drafts, I saw a really unique opportunity to be a part of something special to and to talk about something and work on something that's you know really close to me, which is high performance sports and ego. And it was I mean, and, and just what Martin had already in his pocket when I came on board was was incredible and it really you know it it was obviously a once in a lifetime chance martin at the start of the book i think it's worded something like this is the book that you wish you'd had at the start of your career what what kind of things at the start of your career would this book have been telling a young martin bushai that he needed to know yeah well you're spot on and that's definitely the, the why of the book and this is why this overall project has been and is still so important to me because I always found that there was a missing piece in uh, both probably my education, of course uni, you know, we always then, everyone on, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the podcast talks about the soft skills and everything that, that's, that's obvious, you know, but it's even more than soft skills because again, it's more about yourself than dealing with others. And now there's a lot of training again as well around yeah, build relationship, blah, 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 all this aspect, which is super important. But how to deal with yourself, this is, <laughs> this is nowhere. And that, as I said, as an introduction, that, that was my, my, my own challenge. So if I had that awareness earlier, then how to manage better my, my ego overall, which is a mix between my ambition, but my ability to listen and to really find the right balance, I would have been a better professional from the start. So I had to wait to get things in my face, to get disappointed at some stage, to go through, as I said, achievements, to kind of learn, but the hard way. And, and I guess, and we have a section on the book as well, and we had a few contributors saying the same, that you often have to, hard, to, to learn it the hard way to really get to understand it. But still, you know, if I had been warmed, if I had been trained a little bit, um, I would have done better. I would have been better for sure. Uh, so it's really about the awareness about yourself. And of course, there is this, this part with, with how to deal with, with the others and, and so on. Um, but yeah, this is something that we are not trained uh, for at all. Was there any examples, Martin, early, early on where a greater self-awareness would have helped you in certain situations but so so many times so many times and i can start i don't know 2005 something i'm conditioning coach of a women handball team um i'm doing my, anal my analysis i'm seeing things on the pitch i'm testing the athletes so everything is crystal clear for me we should be doing this we should not be doing that because it's based on measurements it's science-based it's i put all, all my my weekend work into it so I know everything and it has to be like that. Over the weekend, 
the coach decides to do something else. Pff, what is this, <laughs> you know? What, what is this? What an idiot. What is she doing? We clash. I, I slam the door. I leave the, I leave the club, you know? So you cannot behave like that if you, you, you cannot. This is excessive. So in this case, my, my ego has been too much, you know? Maybe it helped me to, to run all, all those, those analyses and to do what I've done, which was pretty, I guess, pretty cool. But it was too much because the volume was on, was full on, and I was not able to put myself in her shoes, like she, she was, she was the, the coach, in her shoes to understand, meet her halfway, understand, discuss, blah, blah, blah. And I kind of even killed myself. And this happened to me many, many times. So once you, 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 you repeat those errors again and again, over 10, 15 years, you start to think, okay, I might need to, to change something for myself, with myself as well. George, just, just coming over to you. Why do you do what you do? And it's, it's, a, it's an interesting little, there's a couple of interesting places in the book where you almost acknowledge your own ego and your, the things that you do, many of the things that are because of your own ego. So I'm just interested to hear why you do what you do. I do what I do because it's, I mean, for lack of a better word, because it's what I want to do, because it's where I've, I've found fulfillment, um, you know, professionally and personally. Um, you know, I, before getting into the sports world, I was an officer in the U.S. Navy. I was on a submarine for five years. I then went to law school, which lasted one year, and then uh, found my way into the world of sports science, coaching, and then from there into sports management. And it's kind of funny the way you asked that question, Rob, because a couple of weeks ago, I was working with uh, two young athletes who I coach. You know, they're just, you know, 12 and 13-year-old sisters. And one of them said, of all the jobs you've had, which one do you like the most? And I thought that was, you know, a cute little question from a kid. But when I thought about it, I said, well, clearly this one, because at this age, after everything I've done, this is the one I've landed on. This is the one that makes me, you know, the happiest to do is the one where I meet a new challenge every day, where I feel like I'm putting my abilities to really good use. And I get something out of it, you know, spiritually, egoistically, as well as, you know, to some limited extent financially. But it's, it's just, what I have found checks every box for me. And I kind of think that's what we all need to do in some ways. And whether that takes you into law, medicine, media, uh, engineering, or sports, you have to find that aspect of your life or, or that, you know, that fulfillment of your work values that will check all those boxes. Because otherwise, you're going to end up in situations where you are unhappy and then your ego is unsatisfied and then it can go into any number of the, uh, ego f-ups that we encounter in chapter three of our book or those really deep conflicting situations that you know ultimately come to a head uh in chapter 10 and there's two good plugs for the book right there of course keep them coming <laughs> but why does why does ego have such a negative connotation when you read some people when people get the book and read some of the quotes from people in high performance environments that it is this very fine balance between Yes, ego can be a negative thing, but harnessed in the right way can be a po really positive thing. I think Keir, Keir Wenham Flat puts, I don't know where he'd robbed that from, a little quote about it burning your house down, or, or I can't remember the exact quote, but a really good one. So why, George, why does it come with this negative connotation when there's so many positives if harnessed in the right way? 
I, I think we I think we have a, a cultural bias against it. Um, you know, I, I think we have a cultural bias against the self and against individualism in many ways. And ego originally meant simply the word I. And when you you know take away a lot of the um, connotations that have come around it, it's about how the self interacts with reality. You know, we early in the book we look at some of the dictionary definitions of it, and it's really a simple word that's taken on a life of its own and that has all these uh, package deal connotations. And when you look at how many people, including you know some best-selling authors, define ego, they build into the definition negative aspects. They say, you know, the ego is that which distorts reality. The ego is that which flatters yourself. I mean, talk about stacking the deck against a neutral approach. I mean, if you define anything in negative terms, of course it's going to be a bad thing. Of course it's going to be the enemy. Um, and, and I think we do that because we have this bias against the self and against the individual and that one person who stands apart and says, this is what I want for me. And it just kind of mutates from there. But, uh, you, you know, like Pippa Grange, she says that ego, when you cut down to it, is our identity. Well, our identity, whether we call it the ego, the self, the soul, the spirit, whatever else, can go in any number of directions. And in that sense, ego is this neutral concept. And we make it positive or negative the way we make any aspect of ourself positive or negative. If I can add something on that about the, the bad press, I think it's probably not exaggerated, but that's, that's, that, that's more fact that through our job in, jobs in elite uh, performance, we tend to mostly see the negative side of the things because often it's counterproductive. Because having the kind of attitude that I had some, at some time just goes against teamwork and, and, and improvement. So we also suffer a lot. We also all suffer a lot about those with those uh, negative attitudes because you just feel that yeah you're not you're not uh, rolling in a, on the same on, on the same boat or same direction, and instead of developing yourself, you just keep on uh, keep on digging further. So this is why, and this is why I started to read and reread and reread. Uh, Ego is the enemy from. Uh, from we an holiday because I needed to to fix myself, but also to accept and take distance from the other ego surrounding me because they were not going in the, di the direction I thought we should go. Um, so I think this is why it has maybe such a bad press again in this world because this is probably in the the kind of world. Or but we talk about elite performance sports about about sport, but. Every person I talk to, even now, and and George will can can um, can can explain further about that. But even if we, if we go into other businesses, uh, uh, could be you know finance uh, or whatever, it's the same story. You know, at some stage the egos become counterproductive, and because this is what we see, then we tend to see okay, this is this is the enemy. But again, and that's our second chapter. There is so much positives of of having a strong ego in terms of achievement instead of in, in terms of being able to survive being able to to compete it's it's needed as well you know so i would say that george and he will he will comment on that also he kind of helped me to reconciliate myself after the phase of killing killing the ego is the enemy he kind of helped me to reconciliate myself with it and still recognize the good things you can do with it as long as you manage it better, you know. So 
that's why also our collaboration has been so so incredible at least for me is that he had uh, a vision that I was a bit that was a bit different than mine on that and he helped me to balance it also so that was that was that was excellent to have uh, his his views on on that as well so what differences did you bring on the thoughts around that george versus martins i mean i think it's the the pro ego orientation you know the the advocacy for the ego when i first when he and i first started talking and when i first started reading the drafts of the book i was really taken aback by how negative so many portrayals of ego were, you know, both at the definitional level and how people talk about the examples they give. You know, we had way many more submissions for the ego F up uh, chapter than for the ego as a positive drive chapter. Um, and, and just seeing how people talked about it, I really saw that negative kind of package deal that goes into how we speak about it. So I've always had a pro ego, pro individualistic orientation. Um, we were speaking recently to Alistair McCaw, and he asked a really great question that I've been thinking about, you know, over the last year myself. And that is that the majority, or like I would say the vast majority of our 110 contributors are all from outside of the United States. We have, I would say, fewer than 10 Americans. And I would, I'm really curious how much that cultural bias really kind of kicks in there. If we were to redo this book with 110 Americans, would it be would that balance between positive and negative views of the ego be a little bit different? Um, I've thought about this many times. Alistair brought it up, which tells me I'm not crazy. Um, so it'd be interesting to see that from the cultural perspective as well as other other lines of work. I'm not taking I'm not taking the piss here, George. I've written down cultural cultural thing question mark. So what did you have a little look actually individually on the the contributors, U.S. centric people, Europeans? and or Aussies and see the differences, the individual differences? We have so few American contributors. Martin would know the exact number because these are his colleagues. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's probably statistically insignificant to really draw a sample <laughs> from it. <laughs> yeah. No, but you can tell, and Rob, you, you know how much I, I, I love the, the Aussies overall, you know. I think in every mm. single podcast I name my, my Aussie colleagues. And they really don't have this like all of most i can say yeah, all of all of the guys i know they really have the ego at the right place and this is why i also always admire the approach to sports science and everything because it's always a good blend between uh the the, the right amount of humility but still kicking asses you know so that's really how i define this australian culture uh, thankfully, we, we see a lot of people like that in, in other in other countries and or continents. Um, but yeah, I think there's a pretty pretty common standard uh, in Oz around having this this approach, and that's why I, I really I really like them. Mm, likewise, there's, there's plenty of your stories in there in the book, Martin, around dealing with dealing with Latin, which had me had me laughing definitely. Um, some great stories that we've talked about privately as well. But in terms of it, your ego and how you dealt with someone like that, how much ego do you need to show to be able to deal with Zlatan? Or is it completely the opposite? You would dial down because his ego is so big or comes across so big. Yeah, no, I think is or not, is another thing. this is probably the, the best example of the, the need to, to dial and to, to manage it. 
because if you don't have a minimum of ego, if you're not able to turn the volume up, he destroys you. You know, like you are you are 10 meters under under the ground. So you have to stand up. But if you stand up too much, then you're out as well because you can't you can't be able to to go face to face to someone like that. So it's really about finding the 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 right the right level. And uh, I'm pretty sure you're because yeah, there's a few few good quotes and. Actually, that was not an easy exercise for me because I really wanted to share some of those stories because they really make the point of the whole book, you know. I'm not trying to utilize, utilize uh, my personal relationship to, with him to make ourselves uh, a, a, a profile, you know. So we, we, we still need to respect, uh, to respect him and our intimacy in the locker, you know. So that was a, a bit of a strange exercise, but... I kind of allowed me or us to to use a few good ones because they really make the point. And one of the the, the best one, and I've been mentioning this story many times, is that when I offered him a specific uh, drink based on BCAA or whatever for for a specific recovery, I was coming with my full speed ego that was backed up by 25 uh, meta-analysis and that was exactly the stuff he could drink and because it was him I had added a bit I don't know based on body mass you increase the the, the volume and then you add a bit of something else so it was the state of the art of the the recovery drink you know and he just says don't me don't give me what you think I need just give me what I want and when you hear that you know, all those, in, like in your head, all those papers, all those, those, the years of, uh, of, of, of training, they just, they just fall apart. And you're like, uh, you're speechless, you know? <laughs> so there's two ways to answer that, to say, hey, come on, you, you, you don't know who am I? You know, you don't, you, you, you don't know where do I come from? And you have, you've seen my, my publication list, <laughs> which obviously is not the best way to be received by someone like him. So you, you're like, you take a deep breath, of course, and you say, all right, so let me think. Um, and then you start to think that he was not drinking my super BCAA shake for the last, the, the previous 20 years, and he still had scored, three, scored 300 goals and did some free kicks and jujitsu style uh, mm-hmm. of, of goals. So you must start to think, okay, this is now we have to start to balance experience, his experience, and let's say my knowledge. You know, and you have to go to find where's the the best compromise between both. You have again, you have to meet him halfway, and again, backed on your own ego levels. So you have to go down, paddle back a little bit to make sure you don't lose him, and then get back, get back to him the next day, get back to him the next week with evidence, and then you have to that way back to the typical soft skills and understanding how people react and so on. And uh, just to close the story. He ended up drinking the BCAA at the end. So my ego was backed up, but just it took me some time, you know. How did you get to how did you get to the point where he ended up drinking it? Because there's a bit of a gap there between yeah, the quote it, and then actually. It took probably it. me a month, to be honest. Okay. Of of subtle discussion, subtle jokes. Like you know, you you work you're on a mission, but then you di- and you you kind of just you know, sometimes it's just uh, small words, advices. You give him some data. Again, depending on the player, some of them, they would love to see facts, you know. They even can read a, a sh- an abstract of an article, an infographic. Thanks, uh, Jan, of course, you know. Some of mm. them, they just want to hear their friends to talk about something. So you just have to put everything you have in your pocket, all the options, and you build it up again. So if you don't have this ego of thinking, no, no, 
he's going to drink that, that because I know it's good for him. If you don't have that, you just let it go. And then you don't achieve anything. So you need it, but you have to, to shape it, to manage it. Just one more thing on, on Zlatan. It was, it was another story in, in the book about how he drove how he drove the culture, how he drove the standards, which I thought was incredible. Do you, was it his ego driving him, his own standards, which therefore drove the, the standards of the club, of the staff, of the other players? Or do you, do you think it's something more inbuilt within his character which enabled him to do that? Oh, maybe it's a, it's a bit of both. It's everything. Okay. You just have the level of confidence that nothing can happen. Like, uh, I don't know, some people, they have uh, something in their pocket that gives them strength, you know? Hmm. You, have, uh, you have him in the locker, you'll be fine. It's just something you can't really measure. But, like, the confidence he has in itself radiates to everything, everyone around. And that's why even, like, and George kind of pushed me to even use him a bit even more in the book to build the stories around him. But from day one, from the day I met him, he changed my life as a practitioner also, for sure. He He's the, the player that, that had the biggest impact on me because his attitude was so... In the end, it's positive. In the end, it's, it's driving the standard at such a level that Anne can say that I was probably driving the standard at the same level when I have my PhD student and I was just kicking their asses every time they were not sending something perfect, you know? It's more or less the same, the same type of approach of getting things done, but at the highest level you can. And that's why I respect him so much for that, you know? There's nothing to say. George, so given what Martin just said, how important is it to have those individuals with that heightened ego to be able to drive the culture, drive the driver standards in an environment, even if it's not a high-performance environment? I mean, I, I think it's... I think it can be very important. Um, I don't think it's necessary. I mean, I think those standards and that leadership can come from anywhere. But um, but but you have to have obviously you have to have the right uh, approach to ego and to setting the standards and the culture. And one thing I really like about uh, the Zlatan story, and, you know, the two stories that we just had there, it goes back to a a phrase we hear a lot in sports when we talk about ego, but that we don't really hear anywhere else in life. And how often do we say about a player like Zlatan, you know, he's got a huge ego, but at least he's got the chops to back it up. Like Martin said, you know, he's got this huge ego, but you know what? He scored 300 goals and he's in his late 30s now, still kicking ass in Syria. You can't deny the man his ego the size of Sweden. You know, he's earned it. Martin has earned his ego. I mean, he He's got that stack of papers a mile long and, you know, everything he's accomplished in his field. So when you have somebody where you can see that they back up their ego, that whatever they bring to the, you know, ego space, the ego environment, that they can back it up. That's the person you're going to follow. Because it's not the size of the ego, it's how connected it is to reality, because the ego is just reflecting what they've done. And in the case of someone like Zlatan, what they have the ambition to do more. I mean, how could you question Zlatan in your locker room? You know what he's done. You see what he does every day. Of course, it's going to keep going. And I think that's why this book is so useful to people outside of the sports world, because in sports, it's so easy for us to quantify the ego. Can Zlatan back it up? Yes. Here is his profile on Transfer Market. 
any questions. Um, but you know, it's a lot <laughs> harder if you're you know developing your your startup, if you're you know working in whatever field. You know, when you think about what other fields have, you know, are known for having large ego individuals, they're the ones where you can very much quantify someone's success. Finance, law, medicine, you know, the patient recovered or the patient died. You won your case or you didn't. You IPO'd huge or your IPO crashed. They can back up their egos to objective results. And in a way, they're lucky that they can do that because many fields of endeavor don't have that. And I think sports just gives a great lens to understanding how the ego has to connect to reality. And when we assess whether someone has a large ego or a little ego, um, a loud ego or a small ego, we have that objective reference. And then we can decide for ourselves whether we respect them or not, whether we're going to follow them or not. Yeah, exactly. You can, you will, I mean, if I talk about myself, I will always accept someone, let's say, with the ego, the ego out at a high volume if he delivers. The problem is when there's this disconnect, not delivering, but still thinking you do. And this is, this is the, 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 the biggest problem that we often encounter. And, and I mean, you know, last summer, I, like I said, I wielded my ego to get on board this project. And then around August or September, I was like, oh my God, you know, I, I was the duck. I was calm and cool on the surface and paddling like hell underneath. Because what did I sign up for? I'm a blog writer. And, you know, I'm working with Martin. I'm writing this book. Oh, Jesus. But, you know, um, as Martin will tell you, you know, I, we, we had our share of conflicts. We had some difficult conversations to hash this out. Um, both my thoughts and my abilities. I went dark. I read and studied like a son of a bitch for a few months to get to where I probably should have been at the outset. Um, and I had those moments where I was like, wow, did I screw Martin by, you know, getting that far out over my skis? I don't think so. Uh, we could take that conversation offline, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> How many of the 200 publications do you read, George? Oh, um, at least 195. I mean, I, I, have, I have alerts on my phone every time a new one drops. <laughs> Just what you just said then about the able to quantify ego, how difficult is that now with the influence of social media and people getting on board knowing that that can be skewed based on certain behaviors on social media? And I'll come back to you, Martin. How how does that sit with you and the use of social media to boost use ego to boost influence and try to skew the objectivity of what people see is worthwhile to look at and take on board. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you could do a masterclass on, on, on social media. <laughs> I think the first thing to remember every time any of us, we, you look at the post, is that the post, it, that someone put it himself. On his uh, on his pro his own uh, opinion or his own uh, practice, so um, so it's you always do your own self promotion. You do your own self tweet. You do your own. So that that's that's the truth. And then I would say the rule is to remind ourselves or to ask ourselves every time we tweet something or post something is is this really necessary? In a sense, like 
what I'm bringing to the world. So, um, and I've, I've been tweeting a lot about that already. Like, am I tweeting just a screenshot of the acceptance of my paper, which is completely hopeless to the world? Or you say, hey, by the way, I have this new, this new paper. Here's the full link because I want to share, because I want to bring something to the community. That's on the extreme both sides of the spectrum. Sharing and uh, and of course, we talked about Jan already. Um, there's a lot of people doing this very, very well. Uh, we discuss that often with uh, my friend JB, JB Morin, about the need today to put things on social media as a way to, to spread out what we do, to, to make it accessible. So this is the, the, the best part of, of, of social media. But if you want, if you are just tweeting when you are sharing a link of a blog, a nice blog post you've written or a paper, you cannot tweet every day, you know? So it has to be qualitative tweets or retweeting things. So that's, that's the beauty and the, the, the really good things of social media. But again, the screenshot of the paper acceptance, uh, I'll still, I just don't, I just cannot almost accept that. And then you have Instagram, which is a, a biggest problem for me because you don't have the ability to put, to link your stuff unless you have uh, 10 followers. So it's, it's pictures. So the norm becomes picture of myself doing my job, <laughs> picture of myself with players, picture of myself. So it's a picture of myself. So again, is it necessary? What are you bringing to the world? That's a, that's a very good question. Um, and they're probably good, good, better formats than others if you still want to, to share. Again, the infographic, they work on Instagram. The small clips you post, uh, Rob, they work very well on Instagram. Um, is it necessary? Of course, because it helps people to understand and to get access to, because they see bits of the podcast and they want to, so this is, this is great. Picture of yourself. Phew. What does it bring? You know? Um, but yeah, that, that could be a full, a, a full podcast because I just had, we just had one quick question, I think a bit on, uh, around social media on the, the, the interview. And there were some really spicy responses, but I'm sure we could, we could run a full, a, a full, a full survey again just on that and i know already who from the 20 to 25 uh, responders contributors who will be very very relevant into into this topic gotta be a spicy one definitely what what was what was spicy can you give us any examples it's that's that's how that's more or less what i said but i said it nicely oh. you know but just about <laughs> making making oneself a profile when you don't have anything because again you post yourself what you want to do so you can make yourself as good, looking as good as you want, because you choose you choose everything. So it's there's a bias. It's not even a bias. It's uh, it's I don't know. It's the level. It's it's just uh, yeah. What one of the one of the more fun things sure. of the last year? One of us had the idea to come up with a fake Twitter account, and we we honestly considered going live with it, but instead we found a little website that'll generate you know pictures of fake tweets and fake fake LinkedIn profiles. And we started writing posts that kind of satirized some people in our field. And it got to the point, you know, like a lot of a, it, I think it's Poe's law that sooner or later satire and reality converge. And some of the fake tweets and fake Instagram posts Martin and I came up with, you couldn't tell if they were real or if they were made up by us because cause you know those people. You've seen those tweets. <laughs> Wait a minute, George. So the, the, the ones that you quote in the book are not real? No, the, uh, so we... We made up some, but 
but all the quotes from the contributors okay. are real. Um, you know, our satire is very, uh, very obvious, the, the fake tweet accounts. But, you know, it, it's not hard to find inspiration for those people who, you know, carefully overcultivate their presentation and, you know, who, who drift down towards narcissism and vanity. You know, they just overshoot the ego entirely and they just land in the narcissism, you know, look at me realm. And I mean, there's plenty of people down there, Josh. Oh yeah, I mean, it, it's it's stacked, the standing room only. Um, but like, what one of the things you know that I think about, like you know, those are people who want to be seen. You know, ego as a tool of connecting with reality. Ego is about you seeing. Ego is you looking out. Narcissism, vanity, as we see it play out in social media, is about being seen. It's about what you're trying to get coming into you. Um, the clicks, the likes, the follows. You know, all of those kind of metrics. So I'm, I'm much more negative on social media than Martin is. Uh, he sees much more of the good in that world than I do. I'll admit that right up front. <laughs> really sorry to interrupt in the chat with Martin and George, but we're just going to take a little bit of a break before we dive into part two. So part two, we have a little chat around social media, the use of social media as a strength and conditioning coach and a sports scientist. And I guarantee after listening to this part two, you will look at people's posts very, very differently and start to wonder what is the reason behind those posts. And we also have a little chat around job titles and the fascination that I have around job titles. So really interesting part two coming up with Martin and George. This episode of the Pasty Performance Podcast is sponsored by Black Box Fitness. Black Box Fitness are leaders in performance training equipment and facility design. Black Box are specialists in designing and building performance facilities for sports teams and strength and conditioning coaches. Black Box manufacture and distribute a full range of strength training equipment from their headquarters in Belfast right across Europe. If you want to learn more about Black Box, check out their website blackboxfitness.com or follow them on social media at blackboxfitness. And this episode is also sponsored by Kitman Labs. Kitman Labs is sport's first technology company to offer a complete solution that includes innovative analytics and an advanced athlete management platform that is supported by a team of sports, technology and data science experts with over 200 years experience. Kitman Labs is leading the evolution of sports performance, partnering with over 150 elite teams across the NFL, NHL, MLB, AFL, EPL and Championship Rugby. Through advanced statistical analysis, rigorous scientific research and unparalleled industry experience, they've architected the world's only analytics platform that helps sports teams to truly harness their data and uncover the influences behind performance optimization and injury risk. To find out more about Kitman Labs, visit kitmanlabs.com or follow them on social media at Kitman Labs. And this episode is also sponsored by Stanta College. Stanta College, led by Dr. Liam Hennessy, provides international recognized qualifications in strength and conditioning and performance science from certificate to master's level. Courses are designed by industry leaders such as Des Ryan and Professor Ian Jeffries, ensuring students and graduates are at the cutting edge of technology and learning the most current methodologies from world-renowned practitioners. Stanta College's unique blended learning approach allows you to take the next step in your career in your own time and at your own pace. 
Lectures are delivered in an online classroom, while residential workshops provide the perfect opportunity for practical application of your studies with guidance from experts within the field of sports science and performance coaching. With campus locations across Ireland, the UK, USA, India and South Africa, applications are now open for courses including the BSc in Strength and Conditioning, MSc in Performance Coaching and MSc in Applied Sport and Exercise Physiology. Visit santacollege.com for more information on how to apply. And now back to the interview with Martin and George. Placing yourself down there, and this is just my observation, there's a few people that come to mind that I won't mention, but I'm sure we can all think of some, that develop almost like disciples down that end of the spectrum. And it becomes very weird very quickly with those type of people because they seem to pull in the people like them. And it, it, it seems to grow exponentially when then people keep doing the things that they do, which then drives why they're there in the first place, which is the narcissism. And it keeps growing. And this balloon just, sorry, this this just gets bigger. It's It's a very strange place. It's a very strange place sometimes. You know, on, on, on that, and uh, I guess that's nothing really new. There's a lot of social uh, analysis and uh, psychology around the use of social media. So I don't want to be to say something that I'm not really legitimate or an expert on it. But I've, I've witnessed that. You know, I've witnessed like people having a, a bad moment or feeling a bit like I mean, people could be players. You know, without willing to say too much. Uh, and then they're straight on the social media just to get a few, a few thousand likes and then everything, you just got the, the, the loves come, comes back and you have a, you, you sleep better, you know? Um, but then what, what Ryan Holiday says, and I think it's a very nice way to put it, to get, to, to kind of lose this, uh, cause you, you, yeah, as you said, almost you, you become dependent, addict, you know, as well. Addict to those likes, you know, just imagine, uh, Instagram is, is, is down for 24 hours. When you're going to get your, your, your adrenaline form, how are you going to get the love from, you know? So that just shows, if you, if you think about that, just what, what happens if for, for two days I don't, I don't open the app. Of course, you have to be able to, to survive uh, without, without those, those likes, you know? Um, and, when you see the, the the rhythm and some of the publication of of our colleagues, I definitely wonder how they would they would do if it, that was to happen. And and you know, like going back to where where you started that point, Rob. You know, I think it's a it's a little bit different when we're talking about like you know our professional colleagues or you know people in their professional capacity, separate from the players. You know, you know the players are the ones you know like Mara said, you know that post that post defeat love, as opposed to like you said that that weird follower discipleship that we see among you know certain people on the professional side of things and you know i think we kind of come back to a lot in the book is you know with the ego but also just a rule of life reality always wins you can build up whatever veneer of competence you want to on social media you can have all of those disciples following you but get out on the training ground get in the gym show me what you've actually done you know you can curate and cultivate your image all day but if you don't, if you don't have the chops to back it up, you're going to screw over an athlete's career. You're going to screw over your own career. You're going to get called out because reality will always win. And, you know, unfortunately, that justice isn't always as uh, swift and public as we might like as we're, uh, you know, working in the trenches every day. 
But I think there is a little bit of comfort in knowing that you are doing your job right. You know, we have control over what we do in our jobs. And if that guy wants to build a hundred thousand followers on Twitter, great. I've got 12 athletes in front of me that I'm improving today. You know, who's, who's really sleeping better tonight? One thing that I wanted to pick up on, Martin, and this was the Bushite, the Bushite test, which obviously isn't a thing, but it could have been. What was your, th- what was your thought process with that? And just looking back, would you, I'm guessing I know the answer, but would you have done anything different? So obviously talking about the, the 3015. Exactly. About the name. Mm. Yes. So yeah, year 2000. So I'm I'm Mr. Nobody, you know. I'm really Mr. Nobody. I have done I don't know. Yeah, I'm Mr. Nobody anyway. So, but I'm I'm thinking. I believe that I have a, a good idea around this this test, and there's a few mentors around me just telling me that I should keep keep working on that because it's something. But I never even thought about putting my name on it. Uh, so it was just I don't know. I think at the start. I had it like uh, in French, uh, like it was a shuttle intermittent test, like in French, but the initials were a bit dodgy, so we didn't really know how to name it, but that was not to be my name on it. Even though you already had the Conconi test from Conconi, you had the Luc Léger from Luc Léger, you always have all those guys, all those names. And then good, good colleague, uh, student, or friend of mine, uh, Alexandre Delal, French guy, French fitness coach, who has also participated in the book. He started to use the test, which was great because he was helping me to, to disseminate it in, 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 uh, with his teams. But he started to call it the, the, the Bushai test. And I said, no, 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 there's something wrong with that. Uh, I don't want to be, that, no, that's not me. So then I said, okay, it's 30-15, it's intermittent evaluation fitness, blah, blah, blah. So let's make it 30-15 intermittent fitness test. So that's, I kind of laid this name to make sure it would not carry mine. No regrets? Of course not. <laughs> of course not. And no one would be able to either write the name properly or pronounce the name of the test anyway. So better like that. 30-15 works in every language. Yes, yes. I'll get your take on this in a minute, George, with people who you've had around you in, 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 your, uh, in your career. But in terms of staff and having staff around you, Martin, your experience and dealing with you as a performance director, head of in a position like that and pushing your staff to be to get on a stage or go on a podcast or write an article, but also pushing that the humility side as well. And the reason I asked that is probably four or five years ago, I had David Joyce, who was very um, forward thinking in trying to get his staff onto the podcast, which was great because Lachlan Wilmot came on, Jess Spendl of the Nutritionist came on, and we had various different people who were great in and around David Joyce. And I thought that was quite forward thinking at the time. Uh, Darren Burgess has done it. You've done it with, with Mattia. Um, and I'm just thinking the way you think about that type of stuff and especially around social media, is that quite a hard balance for you to push these kind of people into those areas and into those arenas, but also keep that humility or try to push that humility in their character as well? Yeah, 
Exactly. It's about building confidence because if you come on, on your show, you must have a, minim, a minimum of, of confidence because you know you're going to have things to say and you're going to not shit in your pants because of eventually thinking about the, the audience, you know? Like I do every week. Yeah. And that, that's just why I'm, I'm talking to you for the fifth uh, time, as you know. So uh, that's, that's an easy one, uh, of course. But you have to make sure when you're talking, you don't sound like a, like a dick, you know? <laughs> so you have to find the, the, right, the right balance. But that's easier said than done. Because again, and actually, it's very nice that you mentioned this uh, this episode with um, with David uh, Joyce, because that's probably when I really started to think that I should not miss any of the episode of of your show. And then when I started to go backwards to make sure I would I would listen to the the first that I missed, and I really, really, really enjoyed this this episode from from David Joyce. That was that was kind of yeah something I really really liked it, and. Again, I was thinking, wow, oh, those Aussies, they are very good because there was not even question. I don't think even David had to ask anyone at the club. He said, okay, let's do it. Yeah. You know, there's so many other environments. Our football, don't mention even NBA or some of the, the, the American uh, clubs. You just can't do it because you have such a, a res- the need to, to be reserved. You just can't talk. And that also creates kind of almost a second, a parallel world. So you have the guys have the freedom to talk. And then you hear Martin for the fifth time because now he can do what he wants. <laughs> but then you have so many good practitioners who, that we would like to hear from them, but they just cannot. You know? Yeah. So, and it's not because they don't talk that they're not good. Maybe often those who talk more are not that, not the best because they might still be in the club and, you know, see what I mean? So I think there's, um, there could be easily a distortion again on the real value of people thanks to this exposure to, to podcasts. So this is why every time all of us, you will listen to a podcast or look on, look up on social media, you have to have the, the BS detector on definitely. Darren Coop's bullshit filter. George, how does that sit in the environments that you've worked in in terms of managing that? The pushing of ego, but the the maintaining of the humility. I mean, I I, I agree with everything Martin said. I think it's applicable to, to any level and and any situation that you're in. And I think you know, I, I think what Martin really kind of keyed in on there is that you know it's not always just about him, you know, and and that's not incompatible with his ego or anyone's ego. Is that you know he's he wants to get other people out there. He wants to get other voices, his colleagues or just other people he's come across. He wants to get them out onto a show because, you know, we can all learn from their different perspectives and your listeners can only hear Martin so many times. They might want to hear someone else's perspective. Uh, and that's great, you know, and, and, and the more you can kind of foster that, the more you can kind of do what you can in that mentorship role to help someone, you know, new or someone younger uh, develop into a healthy ego and develop into a positive impact on their field. Well, that's a really positive impact that we could each have. And I think that's, you know, part of going back to Martin's reason for having the book is, you know, he had great mentors 15, 20 years ago that he helped him get here. Um, and I, I think, you know, if we can help people start that journey earlier, both in the terms of recognizing who they should be hitching their car to and who they can learn from and who will have the most positive influence on their life early on when you're both full of ego and 
you know, but, but not but empty of knowledge, but also kind of awestruck by the people around you, you know, fa- you know, being able to identify who's really the person of substance that you can kind of go along with um, is, a, is a huge help to your career. I mean, when, when I think of the impact my mentor has had on me over the last 10, 11 years, I mean, I probably wouldn't be here right now if he didn't keep me in the sports industry during some dark times back in 17 and 18. Um, you know, to have someone like that in your life and then to reach the point you know, where you can, you know, be that person for a, you know, for someone younger, whether it's a young athlete or, you know, an intern, you know, that's a, that's the real impact that you can have, you know, more than, more than putting your name on a test, more than getting your social media. I agree. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest things um, a good mentor can do is actually enhancing and helping you build that bullshit filter because you go on Twitter, you go on Instagram, for, for young coaches, for 21-year-olds, straight out of university, doing undergraduate, doing a master's, go on Twitter and go on Instagram. And maybe they're not quite aware of it because this is just their world, but figuring out who is actually someone to learn from, who is someone to read a little bit more into, read their work, it must be just a minefield of where the hell do I go? Who do I trust? Who do I trust? Where up my time? And just resist the the temptation to get so overwhelmed and incredibly yeah just incredibly overwhelmed with the information that's out there for someone now coming through it must be super super tough in any industry and, and i mean and, and, and you know i came into sports you know in my early 30s and so i already had some good professional experience i was in a pretty you know difficult challenging and you know high pressure environment in the navy and i still made those mistakes and that was before social media was as crazy as it is now. And I wasn't a 21-year-old fresh off undergrad. So, yeah, I mean, I can only imagine how hard it is because if someone with some life experience in his mid-30s can, you know, follow a few carts and then be, and then after a year or two be like, shit, these two are idiots. Well, again, fortunately, I had the person, you know, that was the idiot to help me out there. But, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a minefield. It's an absolute disaster. Um, don't... Don't just buy every book you hear on a podcast. Oh, crap. I was supposed to say that. <laughs> do, do, do. Um, yes, please buy books you hear on podcasts. <laughs> George, I'd, li- I'd like to just ask you about another thing that's always interesting to me and comes up in social on social media all the time, and I know Martin's very, very passionate about, is job titles. <laughs> job titles. And this is something, I mean, you may have a different uh, opinion on this, but this is where the ego just comes alive. The Twitter bio, the LinkedIn profile—it's an absolute—it's it's, it's gold to watch it. Watch these things unfold, whether it's performance architect, whether it be—I mean, Martin's probably got a list as long as his arm of of examples of uh, of job titles that are out there. But put my mind at rest. It's not just sports science. It's not just strength and condition that has this problem. It's every single industry out there who you've got guys making up job titles to differentiate themselves. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, and I mean, you know, in, in some places, it's you know, your promotions are based on it. Obviously, your LinkedIn profile, and some places, you know, will give you a title bump. Like, oh, hey, we don't, we don't have the money to give you a promotion or to give you a raise this year, but we'll give you a title bump. I mean, really? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, that's I don't know that 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 must be that you know that that eternal search for status, but it's definitely not unique. I mean, yeah, you know, it's it's. It's sadly universal, mm-hmm. and, and I'm sure I'm sure you know we could you know go to any field 
any endeavor and get a list as long as Myron's arm from their world as well. You know, senior senior financial performance consultant for strategic affairs. <laughs> Your Eurasia division. I mean, come on. How big how big is the this I mean genuinely Martin, how big is this problem in our industry for for the confusion that lies within who does what with who and why and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so of of course you you, you refer also among others the the, the the survey and the paper we, we did with uh, Dave Carolan mm-hmm. Carolan uh, a couple of years ago now. Um and uh yeah it it was just uh it was just incredible the, the confusion as you said about th- those titles and i think that probably explains as well why the survey you did about the salaries you know was also pretty difficult to yeah. to get an outcome because when you're asking salaries for job titles because the job, job title doesn't reflect their role Everyone's what do we do of. Yes, everyone's ahead of, so so it doesn't differentiate between anything. It was fair enough. As long as you are, at least you can be the head of yourself, that that works. And even if you have one assistant who's who's part-time, you're also the head of this part-time assistant. And if you only have, let's say, in the club, a conditioning coach and a physio, and you are responsible of the physio, you can also be the high-performance manager because you are the highest uh, possible in, in in the organigram. So... No, the, the problem is when you talk with, uh, let's say, a sporting director uh, or president of a club, asking you to uh, your your vision about building a, building a department, building a club, or, or so on, then you have to explain them how does it work. And I've been using my the, the stuff that we published from from this survey. I have a few a few examples of structures with different levels depending on the responsibilities we have. And that was a, a bit of, a, I think that was pretty helpful to, and uh, people came back to me as well saying, ah, cool, we could use your figure three because our club, we want to move from figure three to figure four. Or, you know, like trying to give a, a framework around that. Uh, so I'm not, definitely not trying to push people to use the framework we used, but at least that's something that came up almost organically that kind of emerged from those 200 something uh, responses. So if we had this ability to have this framework somewhere and then people would say, okay, I have a level three. Fair enough. You may be not exactly the same title, but you know where you sit in, in the, on, on the, on the ladder, you know. Uh, but again, it's back to, back to status. You cannot imagine how funny it is because I follow that because I, I just like, like, it just makes me laugh. I, lo- I like it. When I, when people change job, how quickly the Twitter status, status changes. It, bec- it comes before anything. You know, like say, got the job, bang, status, <laughs> you know. Um, I did it as well, you know, when I, when I joined Kitman, uh, but it was kind of company-oriented, coordinated, because we wanted, I was proud of joining the company. They wanted also to to, to, to tell uh, people that I was joining them. So we had, a, we, we did it nicely, you know, with the marketing involved. So that was, well, that was the same. But it was maybe not just for, just, just for, for me, it was for us, let's say. So I was happy to do it, you know. And and I think not to put you in a difficult position, Martin, but I think that kind of thing is happening more and more. Where an organisation, whether it's a new hire, whether they've never had a director of performance before, and now they've got one, may actually want that individual to be on LinkedIn. Maybe may want them to be on Twitter, showcasing that. But that individual may not be as 
comfortable in doing that, but I suppose they have to toe, the, toe their new party line. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I've, there's, there's, there's examples in, in corporate world of, of um, staff having to do LinkedIn, LinkedIn articles and things like that about products and whatnot. I suppose it gets into a very murky world of who is doing what for who and why and the kind of internal messages that have been fed through these channels. So it's um, the bullshit filter is definitely, definitely worth honing, uh, especially in these, these, these worlds. But brand building is another one, another justification for the incessant tweeting about oneself. Um, especially, especially now, and it was a, it was an episode that came up with Robin Thorpe. Um, George used to be at Manchester United; is now a, a consultant. But this, the role of the consultant now in sports science, and people going off to do their individual thing and and get contracts with with clubs and and the brand building, I suppose, is justification for people going into that world. So it's potential that this could this kind of thing could be. And the utilization of social media for contracts is potentially something that's going to increase and increase. And maybe that the switch towards the narcissism side of the scale may be, uh, may be increased. But I suppose that, again, George, that's something that is happening in every industry. Journalism, sports media, whatever it may be. Yeah, I think I, yeah, it's, it's everywhere. And I think, like you said, you know, more people are... Are going into that you know it's so much easier now because of you know online marketplaces for work or talent for there to be consultants and then you know that that brings savings to companies too i mean it's it's a lot cheaper for a company to hire a consultant or a contractor on a project basis than to support you know the, that level of employees for however long so i think you're right we are going to see more people in those kind of transient you know, project-based roles, which is going to then, you know, raise the value of their brand building abilities, which, uh, you know, that's how it's going to be to a large extent. And we'll just have to see how it shakes out. Yeah. But, you know, again, let's say branding yourself, you see a lot of people have done it like like myself. For When I re- rebuilt my website, I mm. asked a company to just to give me, a, to make me a logo, a few things, so that you are kind of recognizable. I think it's it's nice. Again, it's same as the Twitter thing. As long as you build your brand to bring something to the community, it's fine. And at least you see an infographic from maybe Martin. You know, it's not the same infographic than Jans or what Brett, Brett Bartholomew is doing. It's it's he has his symbol as well. It's that's perfect because you know where the, the, that come from. That those guys are sharing something. They're sharing content. And on that, because that's a segue to talk about Jan's infographic, what I just can't really understand is that how many other people are using the white, the white men's in their infographics. Yes. This is Jan's IP from day one. So everyone is free to do an infographic, but just use, use a black men then, you know, but keep, leave the white men for Jan. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, no, I agree. I agree. And there's, there's probably so many examples of that that someone for so long like there was no infographics apart from Jan's for ages and then there seemed to be a big influx all using the little white men and the little white men are now in presentations and animated and all that kind of thing yeah no I completely agree but back to the back to the book when can people get it where can people get it is there accompanying material websites and that kind of thing 
Who's going to take that one? George. George. Yeah, he's been working on it today. So oh, he has nice. some fresh news. Fresh. So our website, which will possibly be live by the time this show airs, is eaglesbook.com. So e the name of the book is eagles, E-G-O-A-L-S, book.com. Um, and it will be available on Amazon sometime in the next... Sometime before too long. I'll go with that. And Marin and I can continue swinging about this later. Um, but yes, Eagle's book will have, you know, information. It'll be the link to the Amazon page. It will also have, you know, some quotes, you know, and information, you know, overview of the different chapters, some quotes from our contributors. So people who listen to Pacey uh, Performance Podcast will no doubt recognize probably most of the names on that list. And, you know, they, they can go from there. Nice. So when I'm going to nail down to a date, when can, do you think people will be able to get it? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, now it depends on uh, our ability to put that through the, the Amazon system because we yep. chose to, to self-publish nice. based on the really poor experience I had with the, the former editing company. I published some stuff before. Okay. <laughs> so we want to, to have control of it, to have control okay. of content, and uh, we're looking forward to that. But we have not clicked on the last uh, the last pages, but we are not very far from it, definitely. So it's a matter we're, of... We're, depends on when you air the podcast anyway. We're, 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 I mean, we're still just fine-tuning a few things in the book, making sure it's as close to perfect as possible, but it should be very soon. And for anyone that wants some nice little tweetable quotes... To go on Twitter and whatnot, absolute gold. There's some superb quotes in there. Yeah, great stuff. So, Martin, I know you don't like particularly like doing this kind of thing, but we didn't do the intro at the start, so I'm going to ask you to do this at the end. Where can people find out more about you and what you've got going on? The website, which is martin-bushite.net, uh, has all the stuff we publish with all my contributors, uh, whatever they are, wh whatever they do. And then socials, Mart1, Bush, on both Twitter and Insta to make the, the, the full uh, the full package. The full compliment. Yeah. George, what about you for other things that are not ego-related or maybe are ego-related? Who knows? Oh, well, it's all ego-related. <laughs> <laughs> uh my website, I'm currently building it right now. Despite my love of ego, God, the idea of having to write about myself on a website is somewhere around the seventh circle of hell. So I've been slow rolling that to work on the book. So sooner or later, I will have a website which will link off of our website and other places. Um, for now, you know, and when our website goes up, you will be able to contact people will be able to contact both Martin and I through the website. Um, it'll be George at eaglesbook.com. But, uh, yeah, and I don't, like I said, I only see the negatives of social media, so you're not going to really find me there either. So <laughs> I, I know that I know that's I know that's horrible for my brand. I know it's completely counterintuitive as a marketing professional, but you know, is what it is. <laughs> and there are also 200 George Perry on, on Google if you Google it. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's a wonderful yeah. level of anonymity, but if you do put the word, if you do put the word sports after my name, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one who does this. Nice. Nice. People can find you there. Perfect. George, Martin, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking to you and looking forward to seeing the book on Amazon, whenever that may be. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers, well, thanks guys. For the, thanks for the chat. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. 
Thanks for tuning in to this episode with Martin Bushai and George Perry. So make sure you check out the Eagles book. So that's Ego and then A-L-S at the end. And as their guys said, you can check it out on their website, which will be launching soon, and Amazon as well. So I read it and got a sneak peek of, of uh, an early draft, and it's absolutely superb. And like I said, in the middle of this podcast, you will look at things very, very differently, especially when it comes to social media and job titles. And there's there's some really interesting and funny parts of the book. So also big thanks to the sponsors of this episode of the podcast. It could not run in its current form without these guys. So I really do appreciate their support. So look forward to chatting to you next week with some more great guests. Yeah.